What's up, ladies and gentlemen? What's up, world? How y'all feeling? What's up, close friends? Hope everybody's having a great day. Um, so if this is your first time tuning in to Diary of a Mad Black Man, the voice you are hearing is the voice of the host. My name, Blake. I guess I said that already. I don't know. That sounds kind of weird the way I just said that. But anywho, we're going to keep it rocking and rolling. Um, so this week's episode is a very special one. Uh, we start, we're talking about healing and supporting disenfranchised families with James R. Harrison. He's a licensed clinical social worker with over 20 years of experience. He's actually based out of Oakland, California. He has a background as a music educator and has done a lot of work in helping communities and even working in some corporate settings. Um, he does specialize in individual and family work with older teens and adults who want to address social and emotional imbalances. Um, the amount of information and gems and good information and insight that he provides in this episode is priceless. Um, James, thank you so much for being a part of my podcast, writing in this diary with me. It has been one journey unlike any other as i even sit here even recording this intro is coming up on about one year that i've been podcasting and so it just it really makes me think about how blessed and fortunate i am to have built this platform and then to have people like james with over 20 years of experience come on and share his knowledge his expertise and really give some life-changing advice and knowledge that i know you all listening are going to be able to take away and apply to your life especially when it's when we're talking about mental health and this episode is actually part of a series that i've been running if you have been following my show you know the black mental health and wellness series is one that is running throughout season three basically i created this um designed this to have conversations about mental health in the black community and to really be very strategic in how i create content to end the stigma that plagues our community and so this is one of those episodes that I know is going to help push that envelope forward, me doing the work that I can. I actually learned a lot for myself listening to this episode, even some of the language that I can use and talking about mental health and working with other people and discussing and having healthy conversations. Um, I think the biggest thing that I took away from actually recording and making this episode with James is that healing looks different for everybody. There really is no one stop shop, no one size fix all type i guess you say method or medicine or yeah method or medicine is what i'm gonna stick with um for, for helping people heal you know but at the end of the day it is possible you can do it and there are people out there who will support you um like james i actually met james we were on a panel before um shout out to sharon with self-care for black men that's how we met um he was the facilitator of that conversation and since then we've stayed connected and now here we are today uh well not technically today i'm recording this intro after the fact but we've sat down on the mics and really just put together some great content for you guys so i hope you all enjoy it i hope um whatever you're doing you have the, the ability to maybe take some notes write some gems down um be sure you come back to it and listen to it rewind fast forward you know whatever it is you need to do because there's a lot of information that's shared throughout this episode so i don't want to go too much more and um, in the intro, I'm going to go ahead and get into the main main gist of the show. I really hope you all enjoy it. Again, um, I don't know if I said this already, so this is probably not again, but uh, check out the description box for links to his website. Um, he's on Instagram as well. And of course, you all know you can follow me on the socials as well, Diary of a Mad Black Man, if you're not already doing that. Engage with me, post with me, comment with me, like with me, share all that good stuff but let's really get into this good episode because there's a lot of a lot of great information to share here so without further ado here we go y'all y'all know what happens next appreciate you all for listening what's up ladies and gentlemen we're back with another great episode of diary of a mad black man got another special guest here james james harrison he's a licensed clinical social worker working in the field um Got a lot of accolades. I'm not really good at doing intros just yet, but I'm gonna let you introduce yourself, James. I appreciate you coming on the episode on the show. Um, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really, really well this morning, Blake. I appreciate um, you inviting me here. 
uh, to speak to, to your audience for a little bit. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to be here and just kind of see how the, the conversation evolves today to talk about mental health, like mental health, and, and just some of the work that, that I'm doing and other folks are doing uh, to support our community. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's kick it off. Tell um, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do? What kind of work do you specifically do? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's important to say. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, I was born and raised on the on the south side of Chicago. Um, grew up there, and now I'm living here in Oakland, California. Um, my my training is kind of it's, it's interesting to kind of talk about because I started off um, in music as a music educator. Um, and I started that training when I was in Chicago and then did some teaching in the Midwest and also um, here in California. And then uh, it was through music that I actually got introduced into mental health. Um, and there was a black psychologist um, who was also a social worker and then a black psychiatrist. Both of them were, were influential in me being able to, to get into the field. So um, it was kind of their nudge, I want to call it. It was more mm -hmm. than a nudge really <laughs> that, um, pushed me into becoming just doing a little bit more research and kind of finding out more about uh, what it means to be involved in mental health. Okay, um, awesome. Some training out in, in DC and then um, came back out to California to start working with, with families and children in a different way. So I'm happy to expand on that and talk more about that um, as we go along, but there's, there's, there's lots of content. Um, yeah. To, yeah. Lots of content we can get into. Um, but, but I want to kind of, kind of take it back, back a little bit. What was James like growing up? What were you like as a, as a young kid, as a young boy, what was it like growing up? What was your childhood like? Yeah, that's, that's good. So um, I would say a lot of my childhood was, um, yeah, it was, I was in school clearly. I mean, I was going to uh, private schools. Uh, my mom and my dad and my family were able to, to pull some resources together so that I could, get, I could attend a Christian um, private school, um, that was elementary school for high school. Um, but a lot of that, so the, the experience in elementary school was um, with black students and then white teachers. And then it was kind of the flip experience when I went to high school was white students with white teachers and just a few um, black students. I mean, it was probably like a handful of us in the school, so we navigated that together. So I was spending a lot of my childhood, you know, like anybody else kind of playing, having a good time, but also living on the south side of Chicago, trying to figure things out, um, avoiding gangs, avoiding drugs, avoiding um, different things that, that my family had promoted as, you know, the bad things to, to get into, right? So... Mm -hmm. A lot of time at church with my mom, um, we would. She was directed the choir <laughs> um, growing up, so I spent a lot of time in the choir, like you know, learning things there, just kind of being involved in the church in different ways. So, um, be happy to talk about spirituality, how that's you know evolved for me, because that's definitely a big part of the family, or just got a big part of my life specifically. Um, and yeah, just having a good time. I, my, I grew up mostly with my my mom and my grandmother, um, and then spent some time with my dad. And all weekend and whatnot, so I had some separation of family in that way. Um, and I have a younger brother um, who is also now in the the mental health field. He's working on his um, his PhD in clinical psychology. Um, so he and I have really, excuse me, <clears throat> interesting stories to share about our mental health journeys. And then I'd be happy to talk talk about that too. Okay, no worries. No. Um... So I think that's really dope that um, you kind of come from a family of healers and you even said that yourself in the bio uh, you wrote in the questionnaire I sent you. So what do you explain, explain more about what do you mean by that coming from a family of healers? Yeah. Um, what I mean by family of healers is and people who have been involved in the community in different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's in medicine, doesn't necessarily mean that it's in, in mental health specifically, but people who have been um, advocates or have been involved in seeing the community's um, strength build um, in different ways. I mean, I think that with uh, my dad's family specifically, and even with my mom's side, there were some folks who were, um, and yeah, who, some folks who were specific, who were involved in in, he, in the healing arts. So, for example, my my grandmother on my dad's side is a was a nurse, and then she raised uh, some children who were also nurses. <laughs> she also had a son who became a doctor, which you know is very much you know part of the the healing arts. And then other folks who have been involved in, in healing in, in other ways. You know, if it was through you know um, call it spiritual healing and evangelism, I have an aunt who's um, was very much involved in, in that practice and, and connecting with people um, through the spirituality. Um, have a, another cousin who's involved in, in legal stuff um, and legal system in Chicago. And then I have 
there's other folks who are, you know, doing their own thing in finance and other ways of being able to connect with with individuals to be able to support their their growth and to support their their knowledge bases um, around different aspects of their life. Well, I think I talk to people about healing. It's not just about mental health. I think that um, you know, looking at our biological functioning, looking at our psychological functioning, social functioning, spiritual functioning, like all those things are really important to to address when we're talking about healing. So my grandmother was also I call a healer in her own right because she was doing a lot of the kind of grassroots political work inside of um, Chicago, different Chicago systems. So being in contact with the mayor, being in contact with the alderman, being in contact with people who could make some moves for our community in ways that you can't just do by sitting at home watching TV, right? <laughs> you want to be um, connected right, with right, populations yeah. and, and making some political action moves where possible. So I'll include that in, in the healing work. So there's lots of folks in the in the family, you know, extended family and immediate family who were involved in the work in different ways. Okay, that's really that's really dope. That's awesome. Um, you you kind of already alluded to this. You 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 came into this awareness of mental health through music and music education when you're studying to be an educator. What was what was it like for you when you first like? Can you expand like explain more about that? What was that like? Was is there a pivotal moment you had? Or was there something that happened? Yes, um, I think that. The the pivot for me happened, I guess, early on. Like, I think that as I was growing up, it's an interesting story to tell, um, being able to connect with myself, really, and the understanding my stuff and how I was able to express myself and where that was, um, where I felt like I could thrive. And I found that I could thrive really well inside of music. I mean, it was part of what I was doing in the church. It was I was always active in, in bands in elementary school and then in high school. And I majored in music when I was in college. Um, that was my outlet. You know, it was the way that I kind of <clears throat> sorted through any anxiety, any any sense of sadness, depression. Um, so that music was the out, you know, and eventually came dance and it became like just language and connecting with people. You know, but music was was that thing that allowed for me to um, to see myself and to see to see how I could um, express myself in a way that other people could understand and could also see and can also I can contribute to and connect with people. And I think that that's also part of the, let's say the healing journey is learning about ourselves, but also learning about how we can also connect ourselves to other individuals and how we can kind of thrive and grow together. So um, I definitely have some influential um, music teachers who were able to, to support me in that process. They're like, oh, we can so we see that you're, you're talented in this, so we see that you can thrive in this. This is what you had to, I don't say be, be a leader, but be an example in some way uh, for the other, other students or um, for the student body in some way. So I was able to take that and to, to cultivate it um, in, in different spaces. So uh, I think in elementary school, like I, I think I started off playing flute and they were like, now we got too many flutes, you gonna play drums. So drumming became one of the, the primary ways for me to express myself um, either in, um, yeah, in, in these different school systems. So especially in, in high school, I became more interested in some of the classical instruments that you would see in like orchestras and whatnot, and then taking off to um, some expressions for sure in college, I learned like 17 plus instruments when I was there. So putting that energy into um, like healing myself and learning, learning about mm. how to um, evolve and how to how to morph and how to adapt, right? All these kind of skills that we need in order to to heal ourselves is you know, been part of my musical experience as well. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. That you know, just so music was music something you were like naturally passionate about, or was it's it something that like more, that people were like, yeah, you need to do music, like. Well, how'd your interest in music start? I, ha I had to work at it. I mean, um, with my mom being uh, a, a huge influence, um, she was a singer. She was a singer. She still does sing. She does. She does. She still does um, direct choirs and whatnot. She did a lot of performing uh, in my in my younger years. Like she was doing kind of off Broadway performances, and I would I'd follow her, and I would you know get involved in the program myself. I was helping her to do. Um, <laughs> these like performances at the church where it's like revival stuff or just kind of doing their own concerts. So that was a really um, big factor in me learning about music and just kind of doing it by road, essentially. You know, there was no music and notes necessarily that were being placed in front of me, but it evolved over time um, as I got more more training. Right. Um, so like being involved in music, was, I had to I had to work at, but it's also a natural gift. Like I had a, a good ear. I mean, even to this day, I don't um, 
I don't interact with the, the, the music community as much, but if you put some beats in front of me, I could write it down without any, without any issue at all. And that was just kind of one of my gifts is to be able to um, identify how, how, I guess, a, a manner of discipline for myself um, as well inside of the inside of music. I mean, if you're not going to be disciplined, you're probably not going to get very far in music <laughs> or in anything, yeah, really, yeah. right? You're not going to sit down and be willing to practice and willing to, to look at yourself and look at where you have some strengths and then where you have some places where you need to, to work on. I mean, that's how you get better as a musician is being able to um, to beat on your craft, essentially. You know, listen, li- yeah. have some really intense listening skills. Uh, differentiate when things are sharp, flat, all those kind of good things. Like you have to sit down and be like, okay, what do I really hear? What's going on in the when you get by yourself, or also when you're with you know other musicians or other vocalists or what have you, right? So I think inside of the um, that music journey, like I, I think there's a lot of for me there's lots of applications, there's lots of analogies to um, to health and talking about vibrations. You know, people are like, oh, that, I didn't vibe well with this person. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay. between people, right? That we get to pay attention to. Um, and also when we think about harmony and just thinking about what it's like for us to harmonize with one another, you know, and be in harmony with our own bodies, you know, with our own minds and with our own experiences. But there's lots of, in my mind, and the conversations that I have with folks around, like, what does it mean to be in harmony with, with our communities or with our families? And how is that functioning? You know, where is there dissonance? You know, where are mm-hmm. things they're in alignment in some way or not um, and be able to have those conversations especially with ourselves and thinking about how we think um, like mm. what thoughts are are in alignment with where we want to be you know mm. if we're talking about going from point a to point b like am i having thoughts that are allowing for me to thrive or these thoughts kind of getting in my way or are there people that are introducing thoughts that are getting in my way now what can i do to, to start to remove them or start to think about those experiences or, or those um those moments differently so that i could have a different outcome so if i'm thinking about a piece of music you know, if somebody's saying that music doesn't sound so good, it's out of tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, we innately know what sounds good to us. We know what doesn't sound good to us. And we can say, well, if I, is it too loud for me? Is it not loud enough for me? Like, what's the experience that I want to be able to have with this music so I can really feel it? Right. We could make some of those same analogies and so, so some, some of those same applications to our relationships. You know, somebody, for example, I'm talking about communication. Let me know if I'm going off and I'm too much of a tangent. No, it's great. Like, because no, I I don't want you to stop. Go ahead. Keep going. I love it. I love it. When, when we, even in communication with someone, we get to pay attention to like the the volume in which we're, we're talking to one another. You know, folks, if you're talking too loud, it's triggering. Right. If you're not talking loud enough, it's a good trigger for them as well. But to be able to say, how do we adjust our communication to be able to really hear each other? Right. And that's not something that, um, and let's say that people don't pay attention to it, but when we do spend some time really talking about it, then we get to know a little bit more about ourselves and how we communicate and what it means for us. Because just because somebody's talking loud doesn't mean they're angry. Just because somebody's talking soft doesn't mean that they're shy. Um, it just means, mm-hmm. you know, we get to, they get to um, share from their perspective what that means for them, right? And then we get to relate to that and adjust our responses to that based on, you know, what information is being um, being put out there. That's really, you know, something I, I I always find it so interesting to hear how people have evolved to be who they are, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so inter- intriguing about you is that, you know, this kind of interest in music, you know, you come from a family of, you know, your mom was in music, she director of choir and sing, and you come from a family of healers and how it's helped you to evolve to be the man that you are today. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a very powerful story. I, I, I really, really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I want to ask you how how do you now actively help families to heal? Mm-hmm. It, it happens in a lot of different ways. Um, I think it's it's helpful for me to even think about how I some of the first families that I was working with that uh, it was inside the, the foster care mental health system here in California, specifically in Alameda County. Oh, actually, I started in San Francisco County and then came to Alameda County. Um, to work with um, the, with youth and their families inside of what was called a, a family re- reunification process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I think people have uh, uh, different relationships and different um, responses to what the, what that system can do or what it, what it was meant to do. Um, but my approach was always um, to be able to, to focus on the the healing or the health of, of the child and the, the, the parents' responses to what the children needed 
right? Because the children were being removed for one reason or another, if it was, you know, physical abuse or sexual abuse or um, um, something having to do with the caregiver's ability to, to meet the child's needs, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to, to offer education about what it means to participate in healthy relationships with a child, what it means to participate in healthy relationships with any caregiver, right? As part of that healing process, those would be told in many ways, being able to understand um, what it means to cause harm, what it means to create safety, what it means to be able to um, to listen, what it means to be able to show care, so empathy, compassion, um, all these different things. I mean, it's, it's almost like there's a, um, I don't want to call it a relearning. I mean, mm -hmm. but we get to question what, what's been showing up for us in these relationships and what, like I said before, what's, what's helpful and what's not helpful for us. You know, mm -hmm. it's like ways that we talk to our kids, the ways that families talk to their children uh, that either lift them up or it's tearing them down. Mm. And to be able to look at what some of those, you know, if we want to call them generational patterns, or you want to look at um, just how we're consuming information and what that means for us to, to see something happening on TV and, <laughs> and say, right. think that it's okay for us to do with our kids or do for ourselves. Yeah. Like, where are we pulling information from to be able to, to, to inform our relationships, right? And mm. what are we questioning um, to be able to, to have a different experience if that's what we want? And for the families that I was working with earlier on, like they had some decisions to make um, about if they, um, regaining custody, regaining custody and or being able to have more time with their children. And I wasn't the person that was making decisions about, you know, how how much time that the, the parents or the caregivers would have with their kids. However, I was the person that was sitting in the room helping them to uh, to see some of um, how their language or their gestures may impact um, how these children develop or this, how the, the mm -hmm. child was able to um, have a healthy relationship with the caregiver and or with other people, because it wasn't just um, sitting in the room with them, like the, the position that I was in at the time, like I had to go out to, if there was, you know, the children were in a foster home somewhere or what they, if they were even with a caregiver that they were transitioning to, I had to go and meet them in the home and to have these conversations with them about um, what they were experiencing in, in, the, in a mental health capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so if they were having difficulty studying at school, if they had difficulty having a relationship with friends or, um, I'll say difficulty with, um, it's, it's communication in general, I would say is what it is. Uh, but experiencing trauma, like how, how, what do we notice about what's happening in our bodies and happening in our minds? Mm. Uh, when we, when we experience trauma, when we're experiencing loss, we're experiencing something that is, it's unfamiliar to us and it, it kind of throws us off our balance, we become confused, we know what to do next. It's being able to, to ask some of those real um, mm. questions, some some questions that help us to move us forward and not uh, the, not doing the same old, same old that kind of keeps us in the same place. So healing looks really different for different individuals and different families, but being able to, to redefine health um, for them. Um, and it doesn't have to be any and I talk, this, talk about this a lot with some of the, the folks that I work with. It doesn't have to be this huge change all of a sudden, right, that happens. I mean, just being able to take some small steps along the way to be able to make some changes that can feel good for us, you know. Um, and it's just some folks want the change to happen all, all of a sudden so people can go cold yeah. turkey and make new lifestyle changes, right? But that's not the reality for everybody. Uh, and yeah. be able to have conversations about what it looks like for us to be able to, to make some of those small changes over our lifespan or over a given period of time. Uh, I think it's important to do. It's important work. You know, you said you, you said a lot, and I love everything you said. There's a couple of things that you said that I really appreciate you saying, which was um, one definitely was when you said you were helping parents to understand whether you're causing harm or creating safety. Mm. You know, I think traditionally when you think about the black family or, or, or single black mother or whatever it may be, there's traditional ways that we could probably, or even like a stereotype of how we might be raised and how we um, discipline or, you know, talk to our children and things like that. And mm -hmm. so it just makes me think like people have to understand that those traditional ways that may, or the ways that you might have been raised and now you're raising your child and the way you might speak to them might really be harmful. You know, you might mm -hmm. think you're creating safety, but really you're creating harm. And it might not be an intentional um, in creating harm, but it's definitely not creating safety. And so helping people to understand that. Um, and also, I like how you said, literally you said, if that's what they want. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people have to want to heal. People have to want to change. It's not something that can be forced. And mm-hmm. also, similar to what you said, it takes time. It's not mm-hmm. something that's going to happen overnight. Sometimes it may happen over the course of a lifetime. It's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing that. And it also leads me to think about kind of the stigma around just mental health in general, um, mm-hmm. something that plagues our community, which is that. I find for me personally, I find that people just don't fully understand what mental health is. Um, And similar to what you said, it's not just about a mental and a mind thing. There's so many other things that affect, you know, because ultimately it boils down to your overall health and wellness. You know, if you're going through things that are traumatic or emotionally abusive and even physically abusive as well, it has different effects on individuals you know some people are able to handle and manage things differently so what what do you think um you know black people black families specifically need to understand about the stigma that surrounds mental health Mm. that's a that's a good question like um what do black families need to understand about the stigma um because there's, I don't know. It's it's in, in my mind. Like I'm 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 taking a, a moment to to think about this how stigma shows up. You know, mm. like what what are things that people are scared of? <laughs> Essentially, right. Okay. right? Like a stigma yeah. is something that like we we see it and we want to um, either run away from it or we want to chastise it. We want to criticize it. We want to you know say this is what's you know this is what is wrong with it or. Um, there, there's something that is kind of alien. That's an alien about stigma, right? And it's like it's just a label in a way. And it's like you get to identify like why is that label there? Like what is it about mm-hmm. the, the experience of mental illness that is is um, taboo? You know, or, you know, let's say that I don't even know that mental illness necessarily is taboo. It's the like the mental wellness piece in, in my mind is, is kind of taboo. And it's like mm-hmm. what does it mean for us to pursue health when we see that something is not and it's not well, mm-hmm. right? It's like when people go to um, when somebody's not well physically, like they go to the the, the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. But there might be some things uh, that people feel like they can't talk about, you know, because it feels too personal. Or mm-hmm. um, can I say is it's become it's become something that people express around, right? It's when somebody is well, I can't talk about that I have this illness because people going to people on the talk bad about me or um, so people are going to see me as less than if I say that this thing is going on with me or um, I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel more, feel worse about myself by even saying that I, that I have this thing going on with me. And, and often the, the opposite is true. Like when you do acknowledge what's not working well for you, then you can find, you can start to identify some solutions. <laughs> All right. If I know that I, you know, I got a bruise on my knee, and I just kind of ignored it. I guess it depends on how big the bruise is. I mean, some things are kind of, say, take care of themselves, but we still have our internal systems that can help with that healing process. And there are some things that might need some external supports in order for that healing to be, um, to, to progress and, and for it not to fester, for it not to um, become worse in some way. So I think that because Black folks, uh, I guess, and this is a very specific um experience, I think, here in, in the U.S., it's not to say that doesn't apply in other parts of the world, is that the way that, that we experience being able to heal ourselves is a little very different, you know, compared to other places, uh, the system of racism, system of oppression, the system of, like, institutionalized racism, and, like, all these different um, systems have really kind of stopped us, kind of prevented us from being able to seek out certain solutions for ourselves, you know, and the way that we, that we see that we're able to pursue healing has been um, has been a lot different than I think that than it presents in other parts of the world. So I mean, just going, coming back to um, what what I think black families need to know about the stigma is that you get to you get to challenge the stigma as and what it means to to address healing. Right. Um, wow. Like all everybody that is um, experiencing um, a mental illness, you know, they're not crazy. You know, we get to embrace it with compassion. We get to see if somebody is struggling. And it's like trying to meet their basic, ask the questions that, um, like, are, are this person's or are this person's basic needs, are this person's basic needs being met, right? And like, why are they functioning in the way that they're functioning? 
you know, and how how are we able to support them in their in their healing and not throw them away? I think it's, it's even today like there's conversations around you know extreme mental illness, you know, where it's like, well, I see the person that's going on the street and they're screaming and doing this that and the other, um, and there's a, a immediate label that this person is crazy, but we don't always know what what's been what led up to that because this person may or may not have been born that way, you know. That's something that potentially right. exacerbated those those symptoms. I call them symptoms of screaming or being disorganized and what have you. And it's not just that. I mean, looking at symptoms of depression, somebody sleeping too much or they're, they they can't focus. You know, I think that's a, a big one. I think that people, you know, really quick to label somebody as ADHD or um, any of that. You know, let's look at what's, what's really behind those labels. You know, what, what's, what contributed to that person even getting to that point. You know, some things can be addressed through like like diet and just nutrition you know yeah. something yeah there were some things can be remedied through relationship you know some things can be remedied through um um you know, just different biological means i mean not that everything has to be you know medicated you know somebody's like oh you just need to be on medication everything gonna get better around like bipolar disorders or those kinds of those kinds of levels but sometimes just having a healthy relationship can help to to heal some of those things and we don't always know what healthy relationships look like and what it means to thrive and to be able to check in with each other. And I think that being able to address the stigma means to have some yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah. I man, like I I thank you. Like that is so powerful, everything you just said, because it paints a more holistic picture hmm. around what mental health is, how to heal from it, and how to deal with it. And even even on my own personal journey, um, I'm learning that too myself. Specifically, um, one thing you said is the diet and what we eat. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? The other day, um, like, like I'm in DC right now. I'm going to be going to the march tomorrow. And so today's Thursday. So yesterday, when I first got here, I was just exhausted. And I mean, I know I, I drove here, I drove nine hours, but I love to drive. I've, I've driven from Miami to Chicago before and I felt fine. You know what I'm saying? I know it's kind of exhausting and things like that. But then I really sat back and I was like, but I really physically just don't feel right. And then I realized that I stopped at Waffle House that morning. I stopped that cookout, you know, <laughs> you know, another time. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm like, oh, I've been eating trash all day. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that the food is trash, but, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the most healthy thing to be eating on a regular basis. And I know a lot of people that um, that look like me and you um, that come from communities that we come from. These are the type of meals that we often, you know, just take our kids to McDonald's and it's cheap, it's quick, it's fast. And we're eating a lot of these processed foods and we don't understand how that we we don't understand how it may affect us holistically. Yeah, yeah, we may be full, we have food in our body, but we're not understanding the long-term effects or even the, the the mental effects that it might have on us, especially over an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And I really just love every, everything you're saying because it is very powerful and it's painting a, a much greater picture, even for me, myself in this moment. And so I, I wanna ask, is, is there some language that you can maybe share with people who are listening who um, wanna have compassion who, who want to help or who may see somebody struggling, like what's some language, um, let, let's, let's say specifically with somebody who may be depressed or going through depression, mm -hmm. what is some language that, that people can use to maybe talk to them or to work with them or to help them seek resources? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, the depression for me, I think any, any mental wellness, any mental illness for me exists on the spectrum. Right. Again, there's there's the mild, there's the moderate, there's the severe to kind of put it into three categories. But even in those three categories, there's a lot that can happen in somebody who is having mild symptoms, moderate symptoms and severe symptoms. Um, if it's when I'm thinking about um, some conversations that I have with folks um, around like just exploring depression. Right. And you 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 mentioned it. Right. Like how frequently somebody is experiencing something or how frequently putting things in our bodies and what the long term effects of that are. Um, some of that on the on this is probably a little bit more clinical than need to be right now. But what comes to mind is the, the, the frequency of something, the duration of something, and the the intensity. Right. So when I think about the the frequency, it's like how often are these symptoms showing up for this person for either for them to be a concern or not to be a concern? How long has it been there for them? Has it been something that's been happening for a week? So this has been happening for you know months, or this has been years. This has been going on, 
and how intense is it? Like when it does show up, how is it impacting this person? Right. So when I think about having conversations with individuals um, or from encouraging folks to have conversations and it's being able to, to ask the persons that we care about, you know, how this, how are you doing? <laughs> like, how, like literally, how are you feeling right now? And to, to, to ask them if they're, they're wanting to, um, and we mentioned this a little bit ago, do they want to see something change for themselves? Or are they okay with where they're at? Right. And just being able to approach it and on that really basic level, I think, can invite some conversations to, to explore what changes this person may or may not want to, to make for themselves. And that's part of when we think about um, in the clinical language and even not so clinical, just about like motivational interviewing and what it's like for a person to create change for themselves or where they want to see themselves, you know, function. Um, but also inside of like a again, like a, a bringing a lot of different models um, and working with folks. And like the, this, I think I mentioned it when we talked um, in that panel, panel a while ago about the stages of change, right? Anybody being willing to engage in the process, them, them actually, or us being able to see ourselves in this in this growth process, right? And the, the stage of change kind of comes out of a, um, a substance abuse model, more or less, and kind of the, the, um, the 12 steps program and whatnot. But um, it has lots of application for, for mental health and just for um, a range of life domains, right? So if I'm looking at somebody who is um, an alcoholic, for example, um, either someone to, I'll say the stages really quickly here and I'll kind of describe them um, um, in a little bit more detail. So you have a pre-contemplation, contemplation, planning, action, maintenance, and relapse, so for somebody who's an alcoholic or who's been drinking a lot, I'm just going to say somebody who drinks a lot <laughs> without even labeling them as an alcoholic, like they, they may or may not recognize that what their their behavior is impacting themselves or how their, their behavior is impacting themselves or it's impacting other people. So it's like, yeah, like I, I throw up every day um, and it stinks and people complain about it stinking, but it's not a problem. It's not impacting me. I don't have a problem with it. No, nobody else is having a problem with it. Um, that's the pre-contemplation to recognize it's an issue, <laughs> right? Uh, contemplation is, yeah, yeah, I see that this is causing a problem for for myself in some ways, but maybe it's causing some problems with other some other posts, but I don't really want to do anything about it. Like I, I know this there, but whatever. Um, planning is more like I recognize this an issue. I want to do something about it. Let me let me figure out what my options are. Yeah. Um, and once we get to acting places, it's like, okay, I've identified something that I think I want to be able to try. Let me see which one of these kind of feels good to me. And then I can get into a place of maintenance where I found my groove on being able to maintain a good, healthy habit for me. Maybe I've, you know, gotten to a place where I've said that I want to drink instead of seven days a week, I want to drink six days a week. Right. That's progress. You know, people will say, well, this yeah. person is still drinking. I was like, well, this is this person is that this is what feels doable for them. Let's support yeah. them on that journey. Right. And that yeah. can happen. So I'll go into the, the relapses, relapse, they go back into the one of the other steps that's not maintenance, right? And they go back into um, maintenance or action, right? Um, it could be any part of that, but being able to have a conversation with someone and say, like, you have some language to say, like, what are you feeling like is, is good for you right now? Is there anything that I can do to support you in this process? Are you, are you wanting to do some planning around it? Are you wanting to, to make some changes around it? But having the compassion to not force anybody to change is something that I think is really, really important. And, and having yeah. those conversations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, wow, definitely. Um, I can't wait back to listen to this for myself <laughs> <laughs> and take some notes for myself. Like, okay, because uh, you know some of the other things, like like as somebody who's who struggled with depression and just my overall mental health stability and things like that. Um, when people ask me those questions, like you know, are you okay or how are you feeling? You know, the first thing I, I'll I'll say is like. Are you sure you're ready to hear what it is I have to say? Like, right. are you in a space to really right. hear me out and understand what it is I'm going through? Uh, like, I have a I have a very amazing, awesome support system now um, because I have been so open and honest, and and it's helped me to heal and to, to be where I am now. And so, even like even more recently, even as much as like a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I call my friend and I'm like, hey, you know, how are you doing? You know. Are, are you in a space to to really talk to me right now just to argue about some things i'm kind of dealing with some stuff and i just want to talk to you you know so kind of asking permission before i just call and just unload what it is i'm dealing with you know mm -hmm. i think specifically about one of my homegirls who um who just had a she has a newborn baby her baby's like three four months old now 
And so I know she's always going to be there for me, always support me. But at the same time, I, in the back of my mind, it's like, she's a new mom. Like, I can't be calling her every day, you know, when I'm dealing with stuff. You know, I know she she will listen, but asking for permission so that way people are aware that I'm about to give you some stuff. I'm about to share some things with you. And, and that further helps to create that kind of safe space mm-hmm. and build a sense of compassion that, you know, for me personally, it's like, I know I'm dealing with a lot and it's helped me to kind of rid myself of the stigma of being a burden to other people. You know, it's like, you, right. you don't want to, I think a lot of times people say, Oh, I don't want to be a burden. I feel like a burden. Well, I'm not a burden. If you allow me, if you say, okay, it's cool. Or, you know, if I call and she right. says, you know, I can't talk right now, I'm not in a space, you know, it's okay. And so it, it's helping to, to build an understanding within my support network. And I think that's going to be very powerful for, um, for, for people to hear. And so, um, this is great, man. I'm just like, I'm over here trying to like keep myself together. I'm like, this is so dope. I can't believe this is going on my podcast. <laughs> but um, I do want to ask you a, a couple more questions, uh, specifically about being um, a licensed professional and, and a provider of mental health services. What um, What is that like? Because I, I know, for example, confidentiality is a very, is very well known. Like, going to a therapist's mm-hmm. office you say certain things that it's going to stay there legally they can't say anything because right. they may lose their license or whatever so what other aspects of being a licensed professional um, can you share with people that have that that you have to navigate um in this work that you do oh man um that's a, that's a good question i think um what comes to mind is being able to engage folks and I, and I should be ashamed because this is one of those moments where I want to just be able to spit out like all the, the code of ethics for the National Association of Social Workers. But I would definitely encourage folks who um, were interested in pursuing or just kind of curious about what it's like for um, mental health professionals to have a code of ethics um, to be able to, um, to, to understand what that means for us. Right. So. Um, inside of the code of ethics is definitely like a, an emphasis on um, on boundaries <laughs> and what information that you do share, what you don't share um, yeah. with with your clients. You know, I think that I mean, it's, it's one thing is like part of it is being able to like you mentioned, like the, the confidentiality. But if there's a part of what's called um, self-disclosure, you know, and and when you're a licensed professional or just in, like in general, uh, but with specifically for life professionals, there are certain parts of your story that you get to share with folks that they can connect with. But there's a, a point in which the you don't want for the client to become concerned about you. Right. And what like how you what your healing process is and where you kind of currently at right now. Right. Because the focus needs to be on the healing of the person that came into your office. <laughs> so if I go into the, the space, I'm talking about all of my stuff and the client's like, oh, how are you doing today? And I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm ha- having trouble with blah, 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 blah. And the client ends up becoming the therapist, becomes the, the, the person who's doing the consulting, then that's a boundary issue, right? That's something that we don't want to be having to navigate that space. So being able to, to use um, tools or to use frameworks that are going to be um, supportive for the client's needs so kind of meeting them where they're at right i say i say meeting them where they're at but also um how can i can i say this using um in some ways it's kind of evidence-based practices you know using something that's not been tried and you know tried and and put into um put to the test so to speak right um like being able to to use to, I mean, I mentioned uh, the stages of change. I mentioned motivational interviewing. I didn't mention uh, like you just know, cognitive behavioral therapy models or um, trauma-focused um, therapy models or you know extensive commitment therapy. There's lots of different um, tools that people can can use to be able to to create change. And some of those are, I don't say only limited to. Um, certain professions, but I mean, when you, especially when you get in psychology, some of the testing and whatnot that comes along with that, like you really should be trained in a certain way in order to, to do that, you know, the same way that you don't want to go to a medical provider and they're like, well, 
I tried this on my cousin the other day. I want to see if it works on you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go to somebody who's just experimenting with you, although that may there can be an exper experiential process that happens mm -hmm. with someone. But even still, that has a, there's um there's a method to it. Right? It's not just like I'm just kind of pulling this out of out of thin air to work to to you know to offer to you. Is being able to say that there is um, there there can be some stages to this. You know, and it looks different yeah. from um, from practitioner to practitioner, but um, I will say those those are some of the things that kind of come to mind. But I would definitely encourage folks to to check out um, this the the code of ethics for for social work and for um, for all of the fields. For, you know, licensed marriage licensed marriage and family therapists for um, for psychology. Yeah, they all have their own codes that they have that they abide to. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there before I dig myself too much of a hole for not remembering all the the um, the, the the codes for the 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 code for the social. <laughs> nah, nah, you good? I, um, it, it reminds me of like um, the code of ethics for teachers. You know, I used to be a mm -hmm. teacher, and I remember you know all the things. Uh, specifically, one of the things you know, I was a mandated reporter. You know, that was, mm -hmm. was kind of a, a big deal. For me, starting out um, when I officially entered into the classroom, because once I entered the classroom, I started teaching in Atlanta, I had to I had to use that. I had to report a lot. And it was something that I always, you know, kind of walked on eggshells around because of because it's like legalities. You know, I could lose my license type thing. You know, if I don't report this and, you know, I, I know I can't talk about this. I can never say this child's name. You know, this child said this or that or anything like that. So I definitely can understand and respect that and i just want to commend you man like I, I appreciate you for the work you're doing um definitely for coming on the podcast i cannot wait to listen back to this and put it out and i appreciate how you know you i found let me say it like this i found a new community within a community you know i know a lot of people say oh black men don't talk about their mental health. They don't work on healing and things like that. But you are one of the therapists that, um, I, mean, I mean, even outside of, of your professional title, you are just an, one of the black men that I found who are doing the work and, right. and are helping other people to do the work. You know what I'm saying? And I, I appreciate you more than I can express on this podcast right now and even in this moment, because it's it's been very powerful for me to have found you and have found people like you who are doing the work and who understand that we go through things and have helped me to understand that it's okay and that there are resources out there there are people out there there are ways around it you know specifically for me you know social media at one point in time specifically when i when i was teaching i was afraid to post a lot you know what i'm saying i was afraid mm -hmm. to post my opinion about certain things i was afraid to say certain things uh yeah. simply because i know that it could have and it did at one point kind of have real life ramifications when i was potentially written up for an ethics violation that ultimately turned out to be false in conversation for a whole another day. But right. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> you know, social media has become specifically with my podcast and everything I'm doing has become a safe space online. You know what I'm saying? My my personal Instagram, I'm kind of in and out. You know what I'm saying? It's a way for me to stay connected with a lot of people. But you know, with my podcast, it, it's a timeline I could just scroll all day. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Just because of the followers mm -hmm. that I have, and it's not a huge following or anything like that. And I don't do this for the followers of the likes because I started this to really create a safe space for myself. Yeah. Now, this is very much therapeutic for me, you know, even to sit in here for your story and what you do. And like I said, I can't wait to listen back and write some notes. Like he said to say, what? How, how should I say that? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so this is great, man. I just, I, I just am so appreciative. I thank you dearly for coming on my podcast um last question i want to want to say i, I kind of want to open the floor for you if you um because i know you're kind of active on socials um let people know um, where they can find you where they can find maybe some of the work you do um and any last comments or anything you want to say to anybody who may be listening absolutely so uh, i'm on social media mostly on instagram um it's courageous healing collective uh inc inc um, you can definitely check out the um, the website as well. It's just CourageousHealingCollective.com. Um, I'm still um, in the process of putting together some some materials for folks to use to develop some basic emotional confidence just with flashcards and those kinds of things to be able to, to have some images out there that um, reflect 
our community and help us to have some conversations um, that are specific to um, emotional identification and expression. So I'm um, looking forward to putting that out within the next month. Super excited about the illustrations and the conversations that are going to come from that. Um, and yeah, those are that's that's where it's at. I mean, I definitely encourage folks who are um, questioning anything about their their mental health or their mental wellness specifically, are looking looking to be able to um, enhance that, to improve that, to be able to understand what the, the pitfalls, but also looking at how they want to be to to thrive and to kind of catapult themselves to, to even just check in with somebody. I mean, get connected with somebody. If he, even if you don't think anything is wrong, um, find out what's going right to have that reinforcement, you know, just yeah. have a develop a relationship with a therapist or with a mental health professional early so that you don't have to go through the awkwardness of trying to figure out along the way, just kind of lots of clinicians are offering free check-ins, like free consultations, just so that you can kind of learn about their practice. And I encourage folks to be able to, to, to make those um, relationships, establish those relationships early, um, just as, just as, as, as a, a, a connection. You know, so they can refer somebody if they know, you know, somebody who's in need, right? Just to be, we get to, we have to be our own advocates, you know, and to be able to see this person just like we met um, through the, the, the black, the self care for black man. Make sure I say it right. Yeah, shout out to Sharon um, for being able to, to connect folks, you know, like we don't want to be, you know, holding on to, to, you know, too much for ourselves. We want to be able to share as much as we have. Um, I'll say this one last thing is that when I, I remember being in um, in school for music, and one of the the messages that stood out to me and it's to this day um, is that we get to absorb all this information, but we want to teach everything that we know every single day. You know, and it's like all the knowledge, everything that I've built up inside of me, I want to share. I don't want to hold on to what I want for this, you know, this this knowledge to to continue to 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 live. And it's a living word, right? It's living experiences. So we want to, whatever resources that we have, we want to share those as often as we can with folks. So I appreciate you, Blake, for for letting me be on and having these conversations yeah. with you. Um, it's been Absolutely. a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty sure it probably won't be the last time. I got some other things in the works. Like I said, my uh, my company, the Black Podcast Club, uh, grand openings in four days. The website's going live, resources going live. And it's really going to be a, a safe space for creatives to, to find ways to enhance their creativity, you know, amplify our voices. I'm so hype off everything you said. I can't even remember the mission statement right now. So <laughs> people, by the time people listen to this, they'll, they'll know how to find it. It's my information, everything I do is not hard to find. So thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this is powerful. I know if I'm enjoying it, I know somebody else is going to enjoy it. And my, my motto is, um, one of my great mentors, um, shout out to Dr. Meeks uh, from high school, from college. She said, you know, if you could just change one person's life, focus mm -hmm. on that, you're doing your job. And so I know that more than one person will probably listen to this. So I, I feel like this is going to be great and probably bigger than what I think it will be. So thank you, James. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for tuning in to another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. And as I always say, until the next diary entry, y'all stay blessed. <laughs>